When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the State of Health, the podcast where patients put healthcare decision makers and thought leaders in the hot seat. I'm Gunnar Esiason. Today's show carries on the antibiotic resistance series. So far, you've heard from patient advocates about living with an antibiotic resistant infection, politicians who are trying to fix the antibiotic market disincentives at the heart of the crisis, an investor putting money into companies with the hope that policymakers can make antibiotic development sustainable, and scientists at the bench who are working to develop tomorrow's antibacterial technologies. Past episodes in the Antibiotic Resistance series are already in your feed. Today, we learn about the public-private partnership that is hoping to launch a new generation of antibiotics. Kevin Otterson, the executive director of Boston-based CarbX, joins the show to tell us a little bit about the early stage antibiotic landscape. The massive amounts of capital that governments and nonprofit organizations are trying to move into biotech companies to keep the antibiotic pipeline alive and his hopes for the next generation of antibiotics. Let's talk about the state of antibiotic developers. Kevin, thanks for thanks for coming on the show. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. So what, what is CarbEx and uh, what role does it play in the antibiotic ecosystem? We actually have a very central role. We take these amazing things that are coming out of university labs from around the world that have been funded by governments, basic science, and we translate them to a product that has completed the first stage of testing in humans, the phase one testing. And we do that for anything that touches you know, antibiotics, uh, both antibiotics and prevention, therapy, uh, as well as diagnostics. And we're entirely nonprofit. We're based at Boston University. I'm a professor there. Uh, we operate globally. We're funded by governments and foundations. And, and our entire purpose in life is to stop this drought of no outstanding antibacterial innovation in the last several decades and to really get things that are transformative to patients uh, into the pipeline. So I, I have to ask, you mentioned you're, you're a law professor at Boston University. Uh, how does a law professor end up leading a global R&D program? A lot of what you do in, in my position is to bring together partnerships. You know, we have five different funders, three governments, U.S., U.K., and, and Germany, two foundations, the Wellcome Trust and the Gates Foundation. And uh, we work, we've worked with 92 different product developer companies all around the world at this point in our first five years. Uh, that's a lot of negotiations and a lot of deals to pull things together, a lot of partnership. And what I did as a practicing attorney was actually healthcare transactions, pulling things together. How I got interested in this is that when I first became a professor, I wrote this, a lot of professors love to write, I wrote this long article, um, you know, 90 pages on, on all the things that work and don't work in drug innovation. Um, but something bothered me because a key assumption in that entire article 90 pages published in one of Yale's journals, uh, was that uh, when the drug actually became generic, 
it would still be just as useful as the day it started. That's a foundational assumption. But uh, I put a footnote that said, but for antibiotics and things like that, that degrade with use over time, uh, that wouldn't be true. And uh, went on to finish the article. The article is not about antibiotics, just that one footnote. But it, it began to bother me. And that basically everything that works in drug innovation might be upside down and not work for antibiotics. Uh, I just became increasingly obsessed. Um, 20 years later, here I am. <laughs> you have to be careful where your curiosity takes you sometimes. Uh, you might be surprised where you end up. So I need, I need to address the elephant in the room. I, I did my undergrad at Boston College. And uh, the fact that we can get someone from BC and BU on the same podcast together, I think proves that we could uh, achieve anything in the world. Uh, so uh, and so like Yankees and Red Sox, like <laughs> Yankees and Red Sox. I mean, that, that's the level of, of, of hatred that we're talking about here. Yeah, and exactly. For, uh, for, for listeners who may not be uh, familiar with the the, the Boston, you know, Boston University, Boston College rivalry definitely is a, a deep rooted, deep rooted uh, rivalry. But uh, nonetheless, it's exciting to have you on, on the program. Um, so question about Carbex again, does Carbex purchase equity like a traditional biotech uh, venture capital firm? No, we don't. We, we use the language of investment and, and we're run by, you know, all the people that work at us. We have a lot of industry experience. We make decisions like a venture fund or a business development arm of large pharma would, but we're entirely nonprofit and, and, and don't take any equity stake in the companies. Uh, what we're trying to do is to address a global market failure. The fact that these companies can't make money in antibiotics for, you know, kind of baked into how they're made today. Um, and so we're trying to advance that pipeline, improve its quality, improve the innovation potential in it and then hopefully hand it off to, to people that can take it across the finish line because we end at the end of the phase one trial. So we're charitable, we make grants, but we think like a venture capitalist. Right, and, and I would imagine that, you know, maybe this is the MBA and me talking, but I would imagine that a venture investor sees Carvax's grant into, into a company or technology, that would be inviting, right? That sort of essentially is de-risking the earliest stages of, develop, of development to, to some degree. We've, we've received uh, 1,100 applications around the world and, and run an elaborate scientific and business due diligence process over time and uh, funded 92 companies out the back door. So, um, you know, there's a lot of investors who are interested in this space who say that uh, our Carbex due diligence engine helps them to focus on a much smaller number of companies. We save them time by having sifted, sifted the world and boiled the ocean and come down with a few. Also, they like the fact that we bring them not only cash, you know, grants, but also a lot of technical and scientific and business support. A lot of these companies are really small. Uh, I mean, they're 10 or 15 people um, and they've outsourced most of, of their other work. They need the sort of support that you could get out of a large global company but they can't afford it. So we provide the money, but we also have a global network of um, more than a hundred now experts around the world, mostly people that used to work for large drug companies, but are now uh, retired. And, and we, we pay for those folks so that they can provide their advice and, and help to these companies for free. 
You know, I'd like to double click there. You, you kind of touched on, I think what I'm about to ask, and it's, it's why do antibiotic makers need Carbex? But for, you know, an industry outsider, someone who may be not uh, super familiar with how drug development works, you know, what, what are those key infrastructure pieces that Carbex is providing? Is it, you know, regulatory know-how? Is it, uh, you know, clinical trial know-how? What, what exactly are those, you know, those support pieces? Well, it's everything you mentioned. And then in the earlier phases, just the taking a, a, a molecule. So, you know, you'll read frequently in the paper um, that, oh, a paper was published, an article was published in, in Nature or Science. Somebody's discovered a new antibiotic in, in, the, in the spoils of Maine, you know, or, or whatever from the deep sea trench. And they, but uh, what, what they mean when they say that is that somebody has found something that in a glass dish, in a petri dish, kills bacteria, right? Taking that and translating that into whether it can help mice, you know, who have bacterial infections, and it can help other animals with bacterial infections, and eventually be, be proven to help humans with bacterial infections. Uh, that process of preclinical development has many um, ways that things can go off the rails. <laughs> Um, and a well-run project, you might start with 30 such early uh, preclinical projects and end up with one actual drug at the end of the day. So our, our goal is to help them uh, understand what they don't know. And to the extent that uh, we have people within our network that we can provide to them, we'll give them a menu. Here's five people that, mm -hmm. that know a lot about the issue that you're facing. Pick one and and we'll take care of it. We'll pay for the cost. So we're here to accelerate. You know, the CARBEX stands for you know, acceleration is the X. Mm -hmm. And we want to help these companies not die from being ground into, into economic dust because the economics are so bad. We want to see this really great science move forward. Talking about uh, you know, some of these different academic technologies and, and hopefully eventually therapeutic technologies. Is there anything out there that's, you know, exciting you, you know, either traditional, when we consider traditional antibiotics or even you know, things that, you know, may not be, uh, you know, super traditional by the, you know, by the book of, you know, a chemical compound, you know, are there things out there that Carbex looks at or are there things that Carbex just doesn't look at, or is it sort of like an all encompassing uh, look at the space? Yeah. In a way, this is a question of which of my children do I love the most, right? <laughs> but I'll, I'll answer it. Um, you know, it's been my entire life, I, I'm, I'm 59 years old, but it's been since 1962 that we discovered, the world discovered a new class against the worst bacteria that actually got approved by the FDA. That's how long the last discovery that was approved by the FDA, my entire life. Um, and almost everything, 36 out of the 37 uh, therapeutics in our portfolio today would qualify as the first such thing in my entire life, 36 out of 37 therapeutics. And, and the, the last one is also very exciting, but it happens to be from a known class. So what we're doing is extraordinary innovation. You know, any one of those that makes it through will be the biggest news in six decades in antibacterial innovation. Uh, but there's, there's a wide variety. I mean, there, there's things as, as, as unusual as phages, you know, uh, viruses that eat and attack bacteria, um, ones that are engineered to attack specific bacteria um, and, and to kill them, 
to uh, entirely new chemical classes, things that have never been, been, been used before uh, and therefore go after different targets in the bacteria. And therefore there's probably not pre-existing resistance to that. And then all sorts of other things that people just call non-traditionals because they're, they're completely different approaches. You know, somebody would attack a biofilm you know, in, in, a, in a wound or, or an infection or in the lung. Biofilms are like defensive structures that bacteria build in order to make it harder, uh, easier for them to live and, and also harder for antibiotics to penetrate. Or antivirulence compounds that are designed not so much to kill the bacteria, uh, but to make it, you know, less dangerous to the humans. Um, so anything we touch is, uh, is likely to be the most innovative thing that uh, we've seen in the approved drug categories uh, for the last five or six decades. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with Ken Notterson. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So now let's talk about the actual antibiotic market, sort of maybe the, the reason Carbex is, is, is in existence or the reason that it needs to help some of these companies. And it's something that we've spent a lot of time talking about uh, on the podcast for the last couple of weeks, but what is standing in the way of antibiotic drug develop, uh, drug developers and a sustainable market? You think about any product that you have in your life, like your, your cell phone, you know, new technology we can adopt. And usually the new technology is expensive, but there's no good reason for the government to limit our access to the iPhone 11 or 12, Right. <laughs> There might be a good re budget reason for me not to buy it, but it's our choice. And, and the new technology sells not only high prices, but high volumes. For antibiotics, we have an excellent reason not to use it today. You know, the, the newest antibiotic, we would love to actually use it as little as possible for as long as possible, keeping it on the shelf and still use the ones we have today for as long as they last and, and drag it out. Now, that's a wonderful answer for public health. It's the correct answer. Let's save the new antibiotics for the future. But think about it for the company. They've got 10 to 14 years of patent life by the time they get approved by the FDA. They need to make sales in that first decade or else they're dead. But what actually needs to happen from a societal standpoint is to sell almost none of the antibiotic for the first decade. Great for society instant bankruptcy for the company. So, you know, if, if uh, the cell phone had to be, you know, we, we had to absolutely hold on to our old phones until they absolutely died and they could prove to a doctor that we needed another one, I think we'd have a, a broken cell phone innovation market. You know, I'd still be using the things that look like bricks from the 80s. So that's the basic problem. This is a product that we want to save and not spend today. So there are other things like that in the world. You know, the, if you're in a commercial building, you're, you know, or at a university, the university is filled with fire extinguisher equipment embedded in the ceilings, right? And in the walls. 
um, you pay for that in advance, hoping to never need it. You don't pay for that once a fire is broken out. You pay for it decades ahead of it to prevent a fire. And so we need to shift the way that we're thinking about paying for antibiotics. Instead of paying for per pill based on volume, based on need today, we need to pay for them more like fire extinguishers or fire departments or preparedness. And, and that's the shift that the Pastor Act makes in my mind. Yeah, and you're, you're talking about preparedness here. And I think the world has certainly learned a hard lesson over the last 18 months for, you know, what failing to invest in preparedness could look like. Um, and it's, you know, coming from somebody who's lived with infectious disease his entire life, it's, I can't say it's super shocking, uh, but uh, it's definitely something that uh, I think is uh, an important message to be sending right now. Uh, but, but you mentioned the Pasteur Act, another thing that we've talked about on the podcast the last couple of weeks, sort of a, a legislative item going through Congress right now um, that we've had, uh, you know, both Senator Young and Senator Bennett, the co-sponsors of the bill on the podcast. Uh, can you talk about Pasteur? And then there's also another bill out there, the Disarm Act. Um, you know, are they, are they compliments? You know, what's the difference between them? Uh, you know, it's, it seems like there is some hunger or some appetite to, to sort of fix this problem from a policy level too. I'm, I'm a fan, a big fan of the Pasteur Act and, and it really answers the questions I've been asking my academic work for the past 20 years, right? How can we pay for antibiotics based on their values, even if we don't want to use them very much? for the first five or 10 years. And uh, the genius of Pasteur is that the answer is let's do a subscription. This is like Netflix, you know, whether you watch no shows or binge 24 seven and are, you know, lose track of the rest of your life, um, it's a paid subscription. And so Pasteur would set high standards, a few drugs would qualify and, uh, and the federal government pays in advance for them, even if we don't need very many of them. The company, goes away satisfied, the research and development gets reimbursed. We have these drugs ready. We don't have to use them at any time, but they're ready for the future and we are prepared, right? So I, I think it's a, it's a brilliant idea. I applaud Senators Young and, uh, and Bennett and the, the House sponsors as well, Doyle and Ferguson. It's, it's a great piece of work and it has real potential as we look at the pandemic bill that will eventually go through Congress this year, um, to understand that, yes, we want to fight the battle against COVID, um, but we don't want to just focus everything on the last war. We need to remember that the biggest branch of the tree of life, you know, the, the most numerous thing that has species in, on the earth are bacteria. And they are the longest foe of humanity. Think the plague, think cholera, and, and today, antimicrobial resistance. Um, we need to also be prepared uh, for bacteria, and Pasteur will do that. Um, you also asked about disarm. Disarm is, um, there was a clever idea in 1983 during the Reagan administration to save money in Medicare. Um, everyone thought it was a great idea. Uh, it's been adopted around the world. It's when the hospital gets paid in Medicare, uh, they get a single payment for everything that happens at the hospital. So, you know, the, the, the hospital bed, you know, and, and, the, and the nurse and the, and the drugs you need while you're in the hospital, 
uh, and the food, unfortunately, are included in that bundle payment. And it saved money for Medicare without a doubt, but it had an unintended consequence, which it, it punished any hospital that uses a branded on patent antibiotic because they will lose money on that patient. Right? So what Disarm is designed to do is to fix that problem, to eliminate that unintended consequence of Ronald Reagan's 1983 reform to Medicare and to, to put them more on a level of financial playing field. These ideas are complementary. You know, Disarm is more of a, let's fix what's broken about how Medicare pays for drugs. And Pasteur is, is more about, let's dramatically change our societal valuation of antibiotics and, and pay for value, not volume, and, uh, and do so in a way that you know, helps the company survive. So yeah, I'm a fan of Pasteur, I'm a fan of Disarm. I, th I think they, they absolutely work together. But uh, the one that has a chance of moving forward now, um, I'm told, I'm not a political expert, is Pasteur. And so that's where my focus lies. The State of Health. We'll be right back. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Now, I want to I go back to Carbax for a second. What, what does Carbax represent? You know, it's not so often you hear about a fund set up with, you know, public capital or money from foundations to invest in private biotechnology companies. Of course, my life is very close to one such nonprofit organization that invests in biotechnology companies. Um, but, what, but what does Carbex really represent for the life sciences and for um, you know, global innovation? Well, most of the companies that we support are extremely small. And uh, most of them have reported to us that if we had not been able to support this project, either the project would have died or the company itself would have died. Uh, you see many antibiotic companies because of this market issue that I've described, which has become acute in the past five years, um, switching to other things. They're, they're taking people that, that are smart microbiologists and, and they'll, they'll move over to, to viruses, to coronavirus, to hepatitis C, hepatitis B, or leave infection entirely and, and go over to a field that has lots of money, like immune oncology. Okay, So think about infrastructure. We're, we are losing the human capacity to develop antibacterial drugs because the teams of scientists who do that, who know how to do that, uh, their organizations have been ground down by terrible economics for the past decade. And so Carbex is there to, to find the most amazing projects, to advance them so that they finish their first human trials and are ready to, to go into to the later round of, of human trial development. And, and also, you know, indirectly, we're, we're keeping alive the planet's ability to do this. You know, the, the last estimate I saw put up by the German government a couple of years ago, uh, there may only be you know, six or 800 PhD scientists left in the world who know what they're doing and are able to develop an, an antibiotic. Um, 
and a lot of them, I have to say, um, are nearing retirement age. <laughs> you know, have a lot of gray hair, and uh, and we we need younger, you know, it's newer scientists, to, the next generation, to join this effort. And it's hard if all the money for research and for grants and 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 for the companies is in everything but. You know, it's. The things you're you're saying there, I think, echo a lot of what Henry Skinner said on the podcast uh, a couple of weeks ago, and and he shared a similar fear in that the next generation of antibiotic developers is, you know, hinging uh, on really a a desire or you know hope a hopeful desire for people to get involved in, in the basic uh, in the basic grunt work of science to to do this. Um, so I, I think. It's a nice sort of link to 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 a, to a past show, uh, and I'll finish I'll finish today's episode with the same question that I asked uh, I asked Henry from the AMR Action Fund. What does Carbex need to achieve to mean that it was a success? Well, I told you earlier that it's been six decades since we've had the discovery of a drug that actually was a, a first in class against the worst bacteria approved by the FDA. It's been a long time. We're loaded with such things in Carfax. Um, I want to see one or two or three or four entirely new classes, groundbreaking things uh, have come through the Carfax portfolio, be approved by the FDA and, and EMA in Europe, and actually being you know used sparingly <laughs> in the patients that need them. To make that happen and to make it sustainable, I think requires the Pasteur Act. Because, you know, even if we paid for all the costs to get the product all the way to the to the FDA approval, you still need a company. You need somebody to keep that drug ready and alive, and to keep doing research on it so that it improves. And uh, Pasteur, I think, is that essential link in, in what's out there. Um, and so, you know, it's interesting. Our work is is we start like 15 years before a drug would be approved. That's how long it takes to, to go through this process as, as you know, you're well aware, having spent a lot of time looking at research. And, but so we might still be, we've been around for five years, we might still be five or 10 years away from that first moment, but we can certainly see a change. You know, years ago, the, the pipeline was, was characterized by the WHO and Pew Charitable Trust as, as fragile and weak. And, uh, and now everyone recognizes that what's coming through the Carvex pipeline is amazing. And, uh, we're grateful for all the little companies doing that work, a couple of big companies, but mainly little ones. And I'm especially grateful for people like the NIH, you know, NIAD, who's, who's funded this basic research for decades and were able to build upon that and uh, bring it to patients. You know, I think it's a, you made an insightful comment there that the, the amount of time that it takes from, you know, getting from the test tube to the patient is what we always like to say is just so extraordinary. And, you know, I've lived it on one hand. And then I think the first time I ever actually built a cash flow model to project what that looks like, you see it in, 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 a, in an Excel spreadsheet. And it's just like a whole different mindset required to look at it. Um, and, and I think you are right that people with CF are almost like in this very unique position you know, on one side, we have like the high flying, sexy biotech industry that's developing and cranking out precision medications that have just been, you know, absolutely life changing for people with CF. And then on the other side, you know, we are relying on those antibiotics that have, uh, you know, been around since the 60s and haven't really been, 
you know, iterated upon to a point where they're materially different. Uh, and I look at my own life, right? You know, I've gone through first, second, third line antibiotics, and now I'm all the way down to last line antibiotics as my only, my only remaining options. So um, it's a personal issue for me. It's a personal issue for a lot of my friends. Uh, my, my entire patient community. And I think uh, the, th the things that Carbex is doing alongside the AMR Action Fund and hopefully our policymakers in, 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 uh, in Washington, if they can you know, get on board with this, uh, really do have the potential to, to make a meaningful change. Um, so with that, I just yeah. want to say, oh, go ahead. I was going to say the CF Foundation uh, you know, works with several companies that Carbex supports, you know, we, we, we have been actively looking for several years now, any new drug, any new chemistry coming through Carbex, you know, we, we evaluate it for whether it can have a specifically helpful impact in, in the CF world. And the foundation has been really helpful in that process for, for many years. And, and, and I also know that the, the foundation is, has been helpful as a, as a voice of patients who need new antibiotics in Congress and, and in Washington. And I applaud that effort. Um, it's, it's, it's absolutely vital that, uh, that that continue and I'm grateful for what the foundation has done and what you're doing today, obviously. <laughs> well, thanks Kevin, I, I do appreciate uh, the comments and I appreciate you coming on the episode. Um, good luck with the, with the work and uh, I, I look forward to seeing what, uh, what Carbex is able to do. Um, you know, once we're able to sort out this, this policy mess uh, and the reimbursement issue uh, from Washington. Go look at, at the companies that we're supporting and the amazing science that's going forward. That's all for this week. Be sure to join us next week. New episodes come out every Wednesday morning wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter at G17Esiason. And you can check out my website at GunnerEsiason.com. The Antibiotic Resistance Series continues next week. If you liked what you heard today, be sure to subscribe to The State of Health and then leave a rating and a review. A big thank you to Kevin Otterson and Carb X for today's interview. The State of Health is produced by Bob Dwyer. Thanks to Odyssey for making this podcast possible. We'll see you next week.